Take out your Bibles and open to John chapter 20. The first 18 verses of John chapter 20 will be our reading as well as the content of our sermon this morning. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came, following him, and entered the tomb. And he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been laying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came announcing to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he said these things to her. This ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Let's ask for the Lord's blessing in our time in his word this morning. Lord God, by the presence of your spirit, Calm our hearts and minds this morning, I pray. Remove all distractions from within, from without. Give us ears to hear. Grant me the grace to communicate your eternal, inerrant word for Christ's sake. Amen. With that statement, he is risen. He is risen indeed regarding the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's obviously not a trite saying that we utter once a year. But with that statement, we must also ask a question. Okay, and that is what is death? What is 
death. Now, I've officiated many funerals. I've attended many. You've attended many. And oftentimes, I'll hear one speak um, regarding the person who has departed, okay, i.e., the person who has died. And I'll hear people say things like this. Um, he, he hasn't left us. She, she or he is with us. They're, they're in the wind. They're in the clouds. Funeral I was at last summer, a hawk flew over. And someone said, look, there he is. <laughs> Looking down upon us. They have gently slipped away from us physically, but they are here with us spiritually. Now, that, that may seem to give comfort for the moment, but it suffers some serious, serious problems. First, it denies what clearly happened. giving the impression that, that death is a myth. By the way, that, that's a pantheistic view of life right there, by the way. Pantheism. It denies the individual identity of each and every human being made in the image of God. Okay, the reality is that person is not with us. We will never see their face again. We will never hear their voice again. We will never see them walk into a room again. We will never laugh with them again. We will never embrace them again. Which makes death not a gentle slipping away from here and into some other phase of creation, but death is a violent eruption. A vicious change in our lives. It is a horrific reality when we lose a loved one. See, the Christian faith, that is Holy Scripture, clearly teaches that we retain our personal identity after we die. That's a fact. Death, friends, is a consequence of sin, and human beings all share in that sin original sin, the consequence of death is the rejection of God's lordship over our lives. Going all the way back, as we read in 1 Corinthians, to the first Adam. Behold the blessing of the second Adam, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Death is a sting outside of Christ. So what then is the Christian hope regarding death? Is death the last word? <laughs> the answer to that question is given to us here in the passage before us. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 brings us from the cross and the humiliating, shameful death of Jesus, who is the Christ, the royal anointed one, and what he endured on that cursed tree. He who knew no sin, that God the Father made sin, he became sin having never sinned, 
so that we might become the very righteousness of God in him. Only if you believe. From the cross, from the shame, from the humiliation to Sunday morning and there, here in the text, an almost empty tomb. Almost. There's evidence within the tomb that he's not there. We move from the cross on Friday where he was delivered up to divine justice to suffer the fury of God's holy wrath alone on Calvary's hill when our sin was laid upon him, accomplishing our redemption where Jesus said on that day, it is finished. We move from there to Sunday morning and God the Father's amen to the sons, it is finished. His amen, his son's body who would not see corruption, would not be in the grave long enough to decompose. This is God's public declaration, the proof that he alone, Jesus alone, is the beloved son of God the Father, risen with power, and all for whom he died are freed set free from the guilt of sin, justified in him. Friends, that is to say, after Jesus' death, no one thought he has gently slipped away and he's with us in the clouds or he's with us in the wind. No, those who love Jesus on this morning, their hopes were destroyed, my friends, shattered, Their faith had died. They were hopeless. Mary arrives at the tomb early Sunday morning to finish anointing the body of Jesus. And when she gets there, she is utterly shocked to discover that his body was missing. She did not, she, she wasn't thinking, oh, he's been raised from the dead. Not at all. I knew he wouldn't be there. After all, he told us numerous times that he was going to rise the third day. And he did, by the way. Amen? Amen. It hadn't sunk in yet. <laughs> he told them, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of man, crucified, and I will rise on the third day. They didn't believe it at this point. So here, her, her faith, um, her, all of her hope, it, it's dashed to pieces. Oh, but her love for the Lord is not. Notice verse 1. We'll begin to look at the text. Now, on the first day of the week, first after Sabbath, that is Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. This is Mary Magdalene, Mary from Magdala, a little village on the uh, west coast of the Sea of Galilee. You can look over that village to this day by the way. She was a devout follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, who had, who had cast out of her seven demons, Luke chapter 8, verse 2. So her love for the Lord was evident. I mean, she loved him immensely. Why? Why? Well, whoever's been forgiven much, what? 
loves much. Jesus said that about another woman who came to him and broke open an alabaster flask of ointment and poured it upon him and washed his feet with her hair. Scorned on upon everyone else at the dinner. This is a different woman, not this one. And that's when Jesus said, oh, whoever has been forgiven much loves much. You know, Mary never would have sought Jesus on her own. Never. It was the sovereign grace of God, pure, glorious grace that delivered this woman, setting her free from bondage. Seven demons oppressed, possessed in the depths of despair and sin, set free. She loved him. She was devoted to her master, the Lord Jesus Christ. So she was at the cross. If you read Matthew's account in Matthew 27, she was at the cross to the bitter end. Where'd the disciples go other than John? They all fled. They all fled. Mary was there to the bitter end. She followed Joseph and Nicodemus, who had taken Jesus' body off the cross, and she followed them, his body, to the graveside. And then she comes while it was still dark, early Sunday morning, first after Sabbath, um, along with some other women. The synoptic gospels provide us that information. She wasn't alone. It's just that John focuses in on her here in his account. She came with other women to finish anointing the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, it seems evident that Nicodemus and Joseph ran out of time to properly anoint his body for burial, probably because Sabbath was approaching. Began at sundown, Friday evening. So they take him into the tomb. They roll the stone in front of the tomb. She comes back early morning and discovers that this large wheel-shaped stone has been rolled back. It was in a slot. It would take three men and a boy to roll this thing into position. It down. It would roll downhill into the opening, and someone had rolled it back and up. And she comes here, and to her, that suggests that someone has entered and taken the body away. So she breaks company from the other women, and she runs to find John and Peter, leaders of the 12. And children, why was the stone rolled away? It wasn't to let Jesus out, was it? He was already out. He didn't need anyone to roll the stone away. We know an angel rolled the stone away, not to let Jesus out, but to let his disciples what? In. To testify. To testify. You know, I think about children testifying. You heard that little girl say amen earlier. Children have no shame when it comes to the gospel. I'll hear my, you know, Children say to a stranger, do you know the Lord Jesus? My grandson said that to my neighbor last year. He didn't know what to do. <laughs> Children are not ashamed of the gospel. It's as we grow up. Why do we become ashamed? Because we fear what people will think. That's why. You're inundated with all this paganism, pantheism. All roads lead to God nonsense. And to stand and say, no, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. We're afraid what people are going to say. You deny me before men, Jesus said. 
I deny you before my father. Nevertheless, Peter denied him, didn't he? But what did he do by the grace of God? What did he do? He repented. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. So when we find ourselves being ashamed of the gospel, we all experience this. We all do. Make no mistake about it. Run to the cross. Confess your sin. Ask for strength. Ask for courage. And carry on. Amen. Carry on. It's already paid for. Carry on. Don't buy into the gibberish of the world. Okay? He's been raised. Verse 2. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John, the author of this gospel, and that's how he refers to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's not boasting. He just understands that Jesus loves him. And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have what? Laid him. Now, the reference they have taken likely refers to temple authorities, those who hated Jesus the most, religious leaders. Religion hates Jesus. Christianity is not a religion. It's a living relationship with Almighty God through Christ, the only way to the Father. Now, perhaps she thought that some grave robbers had taken Jesus' body for some demented reason. That was very common in the first century, by the way. It was around 50-something A.D. that uh, Caesar actually made it a law for anyone who tampers with grave sites or tombs will be put to death. That's how common it was. So here, although her love is unwavering and steadfast... Her faith in who and what Jesus was going to accomplish through his life and death had died. Her faith here had died. She lost sight of who he truly is. So she's overwhelmed with loss. She's overwhelmed with hopelessness. In other words, his death was no gentle slipping away. So here, thinking someone had moved the body, she runs to Peter and John. They're probably in Bethany at this point, saying they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And then Peter and John burn a path to the grave, verses 3 through 7. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there. There's the almost empty tomb. Linen wrappings. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, then also entered and saw and believed. You know, this is very interesting. You think about these three people. Peter, Peter, John, and Mary. Now notice that John comes and and he arrives first, and it's not John's nature to rush in. Okay, now take Peter on the other hand, who arrived after John. It's not Peter's nature to stop and ask questions. Amen? It's not Mary's nature to intrude where she should not. But they all worship the same Lord. 
They all deeply loved the same Lord. They were all redeemed by his blood. They were all forgiven of their sins. They were all three justified. They were sanctified, declared righteous, and still individuals with different personalities, different traits, different characteristics. And friends, the same is true for this congregation. The same is true for all God's people around the world, right? We are all in Christ. It's very important that we remember this. Otherwise, you're going to have little disputes within the body. My personality probably irritates you sometimes. Amen. But guess what? I'm forgiven just like you. And there's always one guy who will respond like that that irritates me. But we are one in Christ, brother. (laughs) And that's to say that all God's people are indeed alike in the sense that they all live by faith. They're all seeking the glory of God. They're all seeking to love the Lord Jesus, serve the Lord Jesus. And they're also seeking to serve and to love God's people because we are all one in Christ. Amen. In that way, we are alike. All true believers in that sense are alike. But we have individual personalities, temperaments, and giftedness. And we're not alike in that way. Amen? It would be no fun if we were all alike. Amen? Okay, but I want you to notice something in this event here that takes place. You know, I always often wondered, John writes this thing. Why did he have to put in there that, you know, um, you know Peter and I were running and, and I beat him to the tomb? <laughs> and I think verses 5, 6, and 8 shed some light here. And it's not simply to point out the fact that John was more athletic than Peter. But I want you to notice there, there's a progression of spiritual sight through this event. Okay, now when John wrote this account... John the Apostle is the the author, the one who runs to the tomb here. He uses here different Greek words for seeing. Okay? Different Greek words for seeing. In verse 5, we read that John saw the linen wrappings. The verb there is blepo, which simply means to glance or to look in. To glance or to look in. In other words, he takes a cursory look, meaning that that he notices them lying there, but he doesn't focus in and or inspect them. In verse 6, the word saw in he saw the linen wrappings lying there is the word theoreo from where we get our word theorize implying that Peter inspects these grave cloths. He inspects them. He looks more carefully at them than John did. And then in verse 8, yet another word is used. He saw and believed. That's a more intense word, horao. It depicts intellectual activity, engagement, meaning to perceive with comprehension. Ah. An in-depth heart contemplation. Three different words there. So John now begins to perceive the truth and and reality of Christ. And now he begins to embrace this perception wholeheartedly. Oh, grave robbers are not the cause of this. As a matter of fact, grave robbers don't tidy up after they steal a body. 
You can forget the, the Shroud of Turin, by the way. You know, the Shroud of Turin, they think, is of Jesus as one long piece of cloth with a face impression and body impression. No, the head was wrapped separately. That's how they did it. The head dressing is rolled up separate from the body linens. In that day, each limb was wrapped separately. Legs, arms, torso, head. For instance, when Jesus called Lazarus four days dead out of the grave, he said he called his name and his hands and feet were bound with linen strips and his face was wrapped with a cloth. We read in John 11 verse 43, and Jesus said, unbind him, let him go. Remember that? That's how Jesus was wrapped. And here they are. The wrappings in the tomb, clearly without the body, neatly laying there undisturbed. This is what they recognize. It starts to dawn on them at this point, Jesus has conquered death. Verse 8, he saw and what? He believed. Believed what? Jesus has triumphed. He has risen. There's evidence right there, the almost empty tomb. Beautiful. Notice verse 9. This is a striking verse. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. What scripture, beloved? Children? Which scripture? The Old Testament that foretold that the Christ, Messiah, the royal anointed, anointed one, would rise again. Think about this. Think about the disciples. As yet, they did not understand. After three years, beloved, after three years of incessant daily teaching and preaching by the Son of God, as yet, they did not understand the scripture. How many times had Jesus told them this? Friends, they only heard what they were listening to hear. They only heard what they were listening to hear. And with that, Jesus is their teacher, which makes every preacher feel good. Jesus, the son of God, is their teacher, their preacher, and they still didn't get it. There's a great lesson here, and that is this. True believers, okay, true believers can be very ignorant of many things about which we ought not be ignorant of. Witness? We must be taught over and over and over again. That's why it's so important we sit under the word of God week in and week out. That's why we're told in scripture, do not neglect the gathering of yourselves together as has become the habit of some, we read in Hebrews. A forgetful people we are. It amazes me how so often people hear only what they're listening to hear. Sometimes people will seek counsel. And they seek counsel from numerous individuals until they what? Hear what they want to hear. As erroneous as it may be until they hear what they want to hear. Or they listen to sermons, not to hear from God, the Logos, the Word of God, but they sit and they listen in order to critique the sermon or to critique the preacher. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? 
or they listen to sermons and all they think is, boy, if so-and-so were only here to hear this, right? But again, verse 9, so as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Amazing. So verse 10, um, the disciples went away again to their own homes, believing, verse 8, believing Jesus has triumphed over death. They saw, they believed. Now Mary did not have this understanding at this point, not on this early Sunday morning. Her faith, her hope is diminished. She weeps bitterly. Notice. Verse 11, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked in to the tomb. Now the word but indicates a contrast of the two who just left and went home. Verse 10, they went home, but she remained, but there she is. Mary, the last one at the cross the first one to the tomb in the early morning hours is here now the last one to leave. She's weeping. Literally, the word is to wail aloud. She's howling. You ever hear a mother cry when her child dies? It's a horrific sound. You ever hear that? I heard my parents cry when my brother died like that. Uncontrollable. And she's doing that, weeping. She's mourning the dead. And there she is standing. That's a very strong word. It's used of one who guards a stationed post, like a, a, a military soldier. She's guarding. She can't leave. She stands vigil. She stands there, but she weeps and weeps uncontrollably, hopeless, helpless. She stoops and she looks in. Verse 12, and... She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. Now, she doesn't seem surprised. Usually when we read about encounters with angels, people fall on their face like dead men in fear. So here, they must appear as men. She, she doesn't recognize them as who they are. But then again, that is what happens when sorrow grips us, does it not, amen? We, we just cannot see things rightly. She's gripped, weeping, wailing. She looks in, and then the angels question her. Notice verse 13, and they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord. And I do not know where they have laid him. She still thinks he's dead. I do not know where they have laid him. Now, it's very important to read this with the right emphasis, with the right inflection in your voice, beloved. It's very important how we read scripture. See, the, the angels are not asking a question to elicit information, right? If anything, their question is more of a gentle, a gentle reproof than it is inquiry. It's almost if there's a tone of astonishment in their voice. It's like, why are you of all things weeping, woman? Of all things, why are you weeping? So her response tells us that resurrection has not yet dawned in her mind, as it has the brothers who just ran away and went back home. 
Notice, because they've taken away my Lord, I do not know where they have laid him. But notice the affection and love in her voice. Such affection. She loves Jesus. And now she's thinking, even his body has been taken away from me. And I've come to anoint him. Such loss, such apparent loss. So even as she's answering, notice this now. As she's answering the question of the angels, she senses the presence of someone standing behind her. Notice verse 14. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. You know, question, did she hear footsteps? You know, did she notice the eyes of the angel suddenly shift from focusing on her to focusing behind her on the glorious one? And then that caused her to turn? But she turns. She sees, but she doesn't see. She sees him, but she doesn't recognize him. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Okay, notice the language. She speaks of him, him, him. If you have carried him, if you have laid him somewhere, I will take him away. Think about this. This little woman who's probably exhausted at this point, hasn't slept much since the crucifixion, is willing to take his body and carry it away. She loves him. She loves him. He's the one who raised her from spiritual death. He's the one that freed her from bondage. Possession of seven demons. He, he, he was the center of her attention. He was the love of her life. His grace flooded her soul. Let me tell you this. Anyone who's in Christ loves Christ. Not perfectly. Okay, so again, let me pause. Because now you're thinking, well, man, maybe I don't, maybe I'm not a Christian. I don't really love him as I ought. None of us love him as we ought. Amen? The point is he loves you in spite of you. Amen? Our love is reciprocal. Your love does not earn the favor of God. His love came down to you first. We reciprocate that love. We love him back as we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. For without faith, it's impossible to, to please God. That's why we remind one another of these things. Amen? Christ becomes everything to the saved sinner. That's why the rest of the world hates him. The biblical Jesus, not the man-made Jesus. And, but by the grace of God, I would hate him too. But grace. So just when Mary now is at her lowest point of hopeless despair, hoping that this gardener, this gardener can lead her to the dead body of Jesus, the living Savior speaks. It's amazing. And here we see he comes and he resurrects her faith and her hope. The resurrected one resurrects her faith and her hope. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, 
Mary. Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni. How, how does he disclose himself to her notice? By speaking her name with his lips as only he can. Mary. You know the voices of those closest to you, do you not? You know the voices of those you love. I was at Home Depot with my grandson yesterday. We're standing there, I'm looking at some things, and all of a sudden I hear at the far end of the store a cry, a wail, a voice that I know and I love. It was my grandson's voice who had accidentally followed another guy thinking it was me, and when he realized it wasn't, he cries for his papa. I know his voice because I love him. I love him. She knows the voice of her master. She knows. Okay, notice. She turned when she thought him to be the gardener. And then she turned back towards the tomb. Okay, so she turns, tell me where have you laid his body? She turns away. Okay, now how do we know that? Well, if we look carefully, we, we, we know first that she turned from it. She turned from the tomb when she sensed his presence. And then once she heard her name, she turns towards him, which means she turned back to the tomb. Amazing. The tender love of the Savior. See, this is, this is precisely what Jesus illustrated for us in John chapter 10 during his earthly public ministry when he said to the Jewish apostate leadership, those who hated him, he said this, John 10, 26, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Did you catch that? Again, I've pointed to this out a dozen times in the last 13 years. He did not say, you're not my sheep because you don't believe. He said, you don't, you're not my sheep. He, he said, you don't believe because you're not my sheep. That's why you don't believe. You're not mine. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life. Friends, we cannot know him. We cannot know his word. We cannot believe him. We cannot walk with him. We cannot commune with him. We cannot speak to him. We cannot hear him properly, except he graciously make himself known to us. That's grace. Otherwise, you remain resolute in your resistance against him. And the last place you would want to be is here on Easter morning. The gospel's all grace. To take a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Belief, faith. That's a gift. You, not, you do not believe because you're not my sheep. Mary knew his voice. The great shepherd calls out one of his own. The first time he refers to her as woman, but now he speaks her name. Mary turns to the one who is life, the one who gave her life, and she says, Rabboni, a very intimate term, master, Lord. As we combine other gospels, the other gospel accounts, we can picture her falling on her face, grabbing his ankles or his feet and not letting go. Imagine this. She would not let go. Remember we read from Isaiah 61 at the opening of the service? Who is this one? Who is this one she embraces? He, Isaiah 61, who consoles those who mourn in Zion. 
He's consoling her. He gives them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, and the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Master, Rabboni. She cannot do without him. And notice verse 17. Jesus said, stop clinging to me. Stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to my father. Look, I'm still here. I haven't ascended to the right hand of my father yet. But go, go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father and my God and your God. I'm going to go. It'll be 40 days from now, but I'm going. But I haven't left yet. Mary, stop clinging to me. I have something for you to do. You're going to be the first evangelist of my resurrection. Go tell the boys I've been raised from the dead. Amen. Isn't it beautiful? She now knows that Jesus has triumphed over death. And since Jesus has triumphed over death, that means he has triumphed over sin. Death had not destroyed him. It could not. He destroyed death. He destroys death. We see here the death of death and the death of Christ, as John Owen put it. The death of death and the death of Christ. Death is crushed to death. Death is crushed to death. Jesus alone has dealt a death blow to death through his death. He had to die. Why did his blood have to be shed? There is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Life is in the what? In the blood. God's first representative on earth, Adam, sinned disobey God. That is why every human thereafter, every human being thereafter is born with a sin nature. You don't have to tell children how to sin. They already know how to do it. He sends the second Adam from out of heaven to take on human flesh to redeem everything that was lost in the first Adam, referred to in 1 Corinthians as the last Adam, Jesus the Christ. So if you die in the first Adam, you pay for your own sins, that's hell. You die by faith and trust in the second Adam, you have everlasting life. He dealt a death blow to death by way of his death. All confirmed by way of his resurrection. We read earlier, had he not been raised from the dead, we of all people would be fools to be pitied. And I pity the fool who comes to worship on Sunday if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead. Amen? So he's conquered sin. He's conquered death. It wasn't his sin. It was your sin. Okay, now that does not mean there's not a day of judgment. Amen? A day of judgment is coming, beloved. Day of judgment is coming. The last day when he returns, and certainly upon your death if you're not in Christ. Death is coming, and it is relentless. It strikes every single human being, and everybody knows it. That is why we try to put it out of our minds. Don't talk about death. It makes me uncomfortable. Of course it does. It's intended to do just that. You don't die and go in to be in the wind or in the tree. But it makes me feel better. It will come and it will strike. Augustine said this. For no sooner do we begin to live in this dying body than we begin to move ceaselessly toward death. My grandson reminded me of this this week. 
I had my hands on the table. He put his hand on mine. He said, Papa, your hand is big and old. <laughs> I'm like, man, you mean those little triangles on my skin? As I, as I flex them out like this, means I'm old? Yeah, they're all wrinkled and sun-beaten. Reminded me, I'm on this path, ceaselessly moving toward death. But by grace, death is conquered in Christ, and all who are in Christ will never taste death. Your body will, you will not. You won't taste it. You won't taste it. Remember when Herod, the Herod who beheaded John the Baptist... Do you remember what he feared? He feared that John would come back to life, right? He feared John would come to back to life because of the evil he did, and that haunted him. He knew there was a day of reckoning to come. The day of God's judgment is coming. That can be a glad day. That can be a very glad day. If you're in Christ Jesus here this morning, gathered together as we are to worship the risen, the resurrected Christ, the, the story of the risen Christ is your story as well because you're in him and need not fear death. Jesus triumphed. Did you hear me pray this morning that we as believers need not fear death? But I said, we may fear dying. Now, I stole that from R.C. Sproul because I thought about it. I go, I think the same way. He just has a, a way of phrasing things that I do not. So I borrow from the brother who's in heaven now. Remember what he said? I don't fear, I don't fear death, but I do fear dying. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, I don't know how I'm going to die. Is it going to be a car wreck? Is, is it going to be cancer that's going to ravage my body? I don't know how I'm going to die, but I do not fear death. Because Christ conquered death. But oh, the pain he suffered on that cross, bearing the weight of my sin, the wrath of God. That's what Jesus took on the cross, was the wrath of the Father against my sin and sinners alike. We have life eternal. And you can only be certain of this if you embrace Christ by faith. That is, you surrender your very life. You give your life to him, and you begin now to follow him by faith. Because only by embracing Christ by faith can you be certain to have resurrection life. Or you will suffer the second death. That's eternal hell. Although you will exist forever, you will suffer the torment that you deserve because you rejected Christ who bored in the place of those who believe. Come today and believe, and you can rest in this one, the resurrected king. Now, later that evening, as I wrap up, notice, Jesus stood in the midst of his disciples. You see this in verses 19 and 21. Notice, Jesus stood in the midst of his disciples. He just shows up into a room. The door was locked because they, feel per they, they, they feared persecution, remember? He just arrives. He passed through the door somehow, or some way. And notice what he said, peace be with you. Why peace? Because they were frightened. Peace. What does the gospel provide for us? Peace with God. You have peace with God. He's no longer at war with you. You're no longer at war with him. Jesus went to war for you. 
you have peace. Peace be with you. Peace, that peace is only yours if you're trusting in Jesus Christ for your salvation. Because without Christ, death is a fearful enemy. It is to be feared. Without Christ and his salvation, all you have is judgment. Without Christ, there's no hope, only doom. Do you know him? Do you know him? I'm a messenger of the gospel. It's Easter. More people come to church on Easter. They'll show up again at Christmas. I bid you to come if you haven't come. Amen? Amen. For all Christers, I love you too. Christers, Christmas, Easter only. Christers. <laughs> CEOs, Christmas, Easter only. Come to Christ now. Stop messing around. Come to Christ and be saved. So I ask you what Jesus asked Mary, whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? Why are you here this Easter morning? Don't merely observe from a distance the evidence of this, of this almost empty tomb as, as John went in first like this and says, yeah, I see. And Peter busts in and says, I see it. I feel it. Look at it. Embrace him. That's true belief. Come to the one true savior and you too shall be saved. If you're a Christian, you're backslidden. You're backslidden Christian. You rolled in on Easter because you feel I better go to church on Easter. I, I bid you repent. What did Jesus say to backslidden Christians in, in the book of Revelation? Repent. Remember from where you have fallen and go back and do the stuff you used to do when you showed that you loved me because you've left your first love. Come back. Today's the day. Come back. And he'll stand there just like this with his arms wide open. Never to hold that sin against you. Never to hold any sin against you because he took it upon himself and he conquered it right here this morning. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. I am he who lives and was dead and behold I'm alive forevermore. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Father we do thank you for the gospel. We do thank you for seeing all the, the frailties and failures of man. And yet in spite of them all, you came and conquered sin and death on their behalf for all who believe. We're recipients of such grace this morning. May we rejoice throughout the day, every day of our lives, when we falter, when we fail, when we stumble, when we seem to be filled with hopelessness. Let us remember, victory has been won. You earned it for us. In Christ's name, amen.